Put in your earbuds, turn up the volume in the car, or turn down the volume in your office. It's season two of Welcome to the Hit Show. Our guests this week include a boot full of ketchup, three solid minutes of merciful silence, and a memory. She said she was a Taurus. I didn't. I didn't know what that meant. A bull, I think, or a star. A bull made of stars. Shining so brightly, the world stopped dead in its tracks until it was set alight by her proximity. She burned through the universe. Everything she touched cauterized to lava, charred to ash, burned until there was nothing left to burn. She said she was a Taurus, but her voice was an inferno, and there was no one left to understand it. Welcome to the Hit Show. Wow, season two, picking up right where season one left off with uh, weirdness. Yes. Weirdness from Levi. Stuff I don't understand. Yes. Hey, sorry, I'm just getting a message here that uh, all, all of our guests have canceled. It's just you and I it's this week. It's just uh, us. Sorry for all of that. All right. Well, that's okay. Information. That's okay. That's all right. We're going we're gonna to push through because you never know when a boot's going to be listening or a Taurus is going to have a whatever voice, the inferno voice. Yeah. You just never know when you're gonna appeal to someone or find someone that with that res- that message resonates. That doesn't even make sense, but you know what I'm saying. I'm just trying to be as weird as you, basically. This is this is all you know. Chris Chris is involved in booking all of our guests for us, so really, producer Chris's fault uh, that that uh, those <laughs> Way to were our guests. Throw him under the bus. And and probably I'm holding him responsible for them canceling. So we're just gonna have to wing it today with no none of our scheduled guests. We'll be here. Okay. Um, so apologies to our listeners and apologies to Always. Chris for blaming him for something he had nothing to do with at all. Every day apologies. Welcome back. Welcome back, Emily. Uh, it is season two. The Texas Rangers are in full swing in spring training out in Surprise. I was out there from February 12th until yesterday, and I am currently back in Texas at my own kitchen table, and here we go on season two. How are you feeling about the season so far. You know, I mean, I feel great because I haven't been out to spring training, so why would I not feel great? Um, I, <laughs> I leave on Saturday. Uh, I'll be out there for over a little over a week. Um, and so I'll, I'll have a chance to kind of, you know, get my observations and feels and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I've, I've been in touch with several of the guys just to kind of get a vibe for, the new ones, um, the second year of the staff, you know, just kind of an overall feeling and everything of course is positive. I feel like that's probably the same way in, uh, every clubhouse in spring training with the exception of the Astros this season. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, but I mean, in following all the reports and the games and the, um, progress, it seems like, you know, I think one thing you try to do, I feel like this happens a lot in the spring is like, There'll be those devastating injuries where someone's, you know, done for the season. They'll start back up next year. And we've had what, just one of those? Yeah. Brock Burke's Uh, shoulder is, uh, which is super disappointing. Um, but I will say knock on wood for us to be, you know, 
into March and it only be one, I feel like is kind of promising. Um, you know, and it sounds like the new starting pitchers are, you know, doing what they need to do, which doesn't necessarily show up in a box score or numbers or stats. Um, it shows up in, you know, how they're feeling and what their pitches look like and the progress they're making with those. I feel like those seem to be encouraging. Um, when you look at the outside of, you know, the rankings of these, you know, pitchers across baseball and, you know, odds to win the Cy Young or whatever, like the fact that the Rangers have, you know, two to three of the, those guys in conversations of, you know, of, of, you know, good pitchers across the league is a place this thing hasn't been in quite some time, if ever. Yeah. And so I think that's super encouraging. You've got to, I, I have to think the offense is going to come just because of the lineup that, you know, that we have. But, you know, as we've seen, that's a, that's a season by season proposition. So, you know, there's so many mm-hmm. question marks in spring, but it's also too such a, for me, I think it's such a fun time just because everyone really does have a shot to prove themselves, especially with this team, knowing that so many positions, mm-hmm. uh, were going in without a penciled in or a penned in starter. And so, you know, I think that makes things interesting. It makes things fun. And, uh, I'm, I'm stoked to get out to surprise. Let's, uh, let's get into some of those questions because I think there are a few very interesting ones. Um, primarily for me, it's the, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The experiment of putting Nick Solak in center field. And the idea is that the Rangers value Danny Santana's versatility, his ability. He could play seven different positions and play every day of the week if, uh, if they so choose. So, Solak is not known for being a strong defender. Everybody knows that he's going to hit. That's not only the only the most cynical of uh, of fans are still questioning that. Um, but his ability to play center field, which has traditionally been a very challenging defensive position, um, I, I think that's a fascinating proposition. And I was very skeptical. I I think we may have talked about this in our sort of special edition last time where I, I just, you know, talked to a few evaluators, um, watching him in, you know, take fly balls during during fielding drills and just went, there's, there's no chance. This is not going to go well. Um, when I talked to Tony Beasley, he is, of course, the eternal optimist. And he was saying, well, you know, the, the raw tools are there. He's got the speed. He All, all we really need to teach him to do is read the ball off the bat. And that's going to be easier in center field than it would be in a corner if he's been a middle infielder his whole life. So um, Beasley was optimistic. And then Solak got into a couple of games in center field. I think, he, I think he's starting there again today. And um, he didn't get an opportunity in his first game. It had a couple opportunities. We really, I, I think I've only seen two. One was a, a sack fly that was in not very deep center field. And the, uh, the opposing team had a good scouting report and went, he doesn't have a super strong arm. Let's try it. And they scored. And it was you kind of get an indication of like, well, that's that's what you're going to get there in center field as far as an arm goes. Um, but, you know, I think it was yesterday or the day before he was in center field and there was a ball hit to the wall in left center and he read it perfectly, ran back to the wall, caught it. It was not an easy play to make, especially in Arizona where the ball seems to fly just a little bit further always than you think it's going to. And he did it. He looked fine. And so I am... And Beasley caught me afterwards. He's like, uh, are you, are you still uh, skeptical? <laughs> He's looking good out there. So I, I am, I'm less skeptical now, but, um, I think that for me is one of the top two 
most interesting questions of, uh, of spring training this year is if, if Solak can play center field. Before I ask you what your second one is, I think that people are going to have to go into the, into the season knowing that there's going to be some lumps there. I mean, he's going to, there's going to be some growing mm-hmm. pains and, uh, I think the team is obviously they're realists. They don't think he's going to, you know, um, turn into a all-star overnight. Um, so they're going to have some patience with him. I mean, this is a very, you know, realistic staff. Um, so I think he'll, yeah. there's, there is going to be a learning curve. Um, and I think that, I hope that fans realize that before they, you know, crush him for, you know, missing a play or not making a throw, a relay throw or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting to see, but hopefully people are also, um, I keep using the word realistic, but let's, let's be realistic here. Talking about not only a, you know, a player playing that position for, you know, basically the first time and then also to him being a young player. Um, so that's a tough combination to tackle. So what's number two, Levi? Well, before I get to that, there's one other uh, aspect of this is that I think in 2017 or 18, there was more, I mean, we saw Carlos Tochi out there, right? Like there was more space for a team that kind of realized we're going to, that the phrase we're going to compete this year did not mean we are going to win a lot of games. It just meant we're going to try really hard out there with this team that is not built to win. Um, so I think this year there's a little bit different mindset. They have a rotation that they think is good enough to bring them into contention. Um, there are quite a few holes in the lineup, but they, I, Woodward seemed to indicate that there was not a whole lot of space for just throwing him out there and letting him figure it out. I think in this instance, he's going to have to probably prove that, I mean, there will always be mistakes, right? Nobody, nobody goes through an entire season and just never makes a mistake. But I, I don't think there's as much wiggle room this year for letting a guy figure it out out there because I, I think the team is kind of looking towards, Hey, if we're even, if, if we're not contending this year, we are gearing towards contention in 2021. And Hey, you know, the team gets out to a, 10 and 30 start, well then yeah, put him out in center field, let him go and just contend in 2021. But I, I would be a little surprised if they, uh, put him out there without something approaching full confidence. Question on that. But so can, but they, do they have a place for him or can, they can't afford to lose that bat? Oh no, no. I think if he doesn't start in center field, then he probably becomes something of a play four or five times a week guy and plays in left field and second base and third base. Um, and you just, there are going to be times when that means Todd Frazier is still in the lineup, but he is playing first base, I think. Um, there are going to be times when that means Rook Nedador gets some more days off, maybe against the left-hander. And there are going to be days when maybe Chu gets a day off and Calhoun slides into designated hitter. And, and I think that's, uh, I mean, it, it's not the ideal situation, right? It's, you want those guys... Uh, playing, I think, possible exception first base. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the Rangers would really be thrilled if the center, center field thing works out because it then gives them a whole lot of flexibility with guys like um, Santana and, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who I, I'll get into in a minute, being on your bench. And basically you can plop those guys kind of anywhere in the lineup and and give guys regular days of rest without without it feeling like a platoon for somebody like Chu. Like you give Chu a day off a week. You give Calhoun a day off a week. Keep those guys a little bit more fresh uh, without them feeling like they're losing playing time just because um, just because Nick Solak can't play center field. Gotcha. 
My second most interesting uh, battle of spring training is Greg Bird versus Ronald Guzman at first base. And um, Bird has looked better on defense than I expected. I, I think Woodward has said something along those lines, too, that the thing that he's noticed the most is Bird's defense. Uh, neither guy has an exceptionally high batting average in spring training. Um, and so if you want to take that at face value, then maybe there is some, um, maybe there is some steam for Hey, Solak isn't maybe the greatest third baseman, but let's go ahead and let him play and shift Frazier to first base. I think Bird's statistics are a bit misleading. He has hit the ball pretty well on a number of occasions. That first game, he got absolutely robbed a couple of times. Um, and he's not striking out a bunch. He's making contact. It's just going right at guys. And so he's been, he's been more impressive, uh, I think, than, than people would realize by just looking at his batting average of, I think, is still zero. Um, Guzman has looked a little bit rusty in places. I don't know. Rusty might not be the right word. He, he has not looked quite as good at the plate as bird. And so at the last time, and we've asked Chris Woodward about this probably 15 times throughout the, throughout the spring. When we last talked to him, he, he basically said, Hey, but there's still neck and neck. Guzman is the better defender, but bird's defense has looked better than we expected. Uh, they're both still kind of going into, uh, at bats, working on things and, and processing, you know, swing tweaks, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, it kind of starts to be put up or shut up time, I think, for both of those guys. And, um, and so, so I'm, I'm curious to see how this one pans out. The one, one X factor here is that, um, Guzman still has minor league options. He could start the season in AAA and the team would not lose him. Greg Bird does have an opt-out if he doesn't make the big league club. And so I think that may tip the scales a little bit in his favor as far as making the opening day roster. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, logistically at some point you have to do, you know, what what gives you the most flexibility. And so you can't cut off your nose to spite your face, especially if those two are so close. Um, and especially knowing that, listen, it's going to be a matter of time before, you know, the first wave of, you know, two or three guys is going to be up due to, you know, insert injury here or whatever. It's just inevitable. Um, and so, you know, and I think Guzzi's equipped to, you know, to handle that, I think, especially considering the season he had last year, he knows, you know, he's got stuff to work on. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think he's probably more equipped to handle it than, may, let's say, Willie Calhoun was this time last year. Um, yeah. And I think, too, those that those conversations will probably be even more transparent and happen even earlier this year than maybe they did last year with the staff. Yeah, and... And Woodward said he doesn't want to wait until the last day of spring to make that decision. He says, you know, you, you want to, not just because you don't want to keep some guy's hopes up and then crush them at the last minute, but also for the guy that wins the job, you don't want to spring it on him at the last minute. Like you've been in the mo- in the mindset of, I have to win a job, I have to win a job, win a job. And then all of a sudden, hey, job is yours. And by the way, the season starts tomorrow, so you better get yourself in the right mindset of I'm the starter. Like he wants to give those guys a few, a few games at least, and he said preferably about a week to kind of settle in and go, okay, here's what I am preparing for. I am either preparing for some time in AAA, I'm preparing to be the everyday starter at first base, or I'm preparing to exercise my opt-out clause. Like you want guys to be able to have that flexibility. They will, they will do that, whatever that next job is, they will do it better if they have a little bit of time to mentally prepare for it. And so 
Well, today's uh, March 3rd. We've got less than three weeks left, so I think we'll probably see a decision on that sometime in the next two weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, like you said, that there's no reason to wait until, you know, the very end. I mean, unless things are extremely close, but like, like you said, that the idea for, you know, these guys having the opportunity to process things, um, and, and kind of know without, you know, waiting on pins and needles, um, if they've already formulated their, their decisions. And so yeah. I think that they'll communicate those as they're made. Yeah, I think so too. And then my third uh, most interesting topic is a single player, uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He has already hit two home runs this spring, and I, I get it. Sometimes in spring, guys are going to be piping in first-pitch fastballs or whatever, but uh, he only had one at the big leagues last year. And I talked to him a lot about the way that he prepared to go into last season as a catcher. He said he, he allowed himself to bulk up. He was very much focused on game prep rather than um, what he would normally focus on, which is keeping his body agile, keeping his speed up, uh, making sure that his infield defense was in tip-top shape. And so he felt like, uh, he used the word sloppy. He felt like his body was sloppy last year. Um, after being shifted out of the catcher role, he sort of started to put the work back in to kind of regain his old shape, but that, that doesn't happen immediately. And so that was his offseason. He spent his offseason kind of getting himself back into infield shape. And man, he has looked phenomenal on defense at uh, both third base and shortstop. He's been, he's made plays. He's made them look easy. Uh, he's made difficult plays, make, made them look easy. And the question with him has never been defense. I mean, he, I wrote this in an article a few weeks ago that in 2018 at, at third base, he, there's a, there's a statistic called outs above average on the, the MLB, um, site and it is a cumulative stat. So what I mean by that is that it's not like batting average where you can go have one good game and hey, you've got a 500 batting average for the year. Well, that's a small sample size and doesn't mean much. Uh, but home runs, you can't hit 30 home runs in one game. So if you have 30 home runs, that tells you something. Uh, outs above average is cumulative like home runs. You cannot accrue all of these statistics in one game. And in 60 something games, I don't have the number in front of me, but it was a a small number of games at third base. He had the third most outs above average in all of baseball. The only two guys that he trailed, they were they were tied for first with eight each, were Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was tied for third with six. And he only played, you know, less than half of the of the games. And so that was really an eye-opening stat for me. I always knew that he was good at defense. That was always that's always been his reputation. But holy cow, like he's actually really good at defense. Um, but can he hit? That's That's been the question. And he went a, a long time in the minor league showing almost no power, had no home runs for a very long time. Showed a little bit of pop in his first season, but not a ton. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's looking okay this spring. He already has more home runs in spring than he had all of last season in the big leagues. I think he is somebody who, I don't think he's going to claim a starting position right out of the gate, but if he continues to play like this, to, to provide above average defense, which frankly is something that the Rangers kind of lack. They don't have a lot of, I mean, Guzman at first base, which is not a defense first position. Uh, Mathis at catcher, who is, we have not seen him bring a whole lot to the plate. They don't have a ton of strong defenders. And so to have somebody at third base that is in the realm of somebody like Arenado or Chapman, I think that could be very beneficial to the team. And so if he can just hit, man, like if he could hit 270 and have like maybe 10 home run power 
I think his defense is good enough that he, that he could work himself into a starting role this year. Yeah, and I think you look at just kind of like, you know, we talk about his versatility and what he can do and, um, you know, and kind of, you don't want to call it a disservice, but, you know, kind of a disservice to him. I mean, that kind of stunted his growth in other areas, um, you know, mm-hmm. last season did. And so I think the attitude that he had, um, you know, kind of the, the mental fortitude that he showed, um, you know, I think all that spoke volumes to the staff because they realized the position that they put him in. Um, and he responded pretty well as far as, you know, taking it, taking it head on and, um, you know, wanting to do everything he could to make it happen. And, and it just, you know, that, that sets you back, especially with a young player to be in those developmental stages and then, you know, flip flopping back and forth and, you know, all those kind of things and trying to learn a new, position and it's not just any position. I mean, you're talking about, you know, <laughs> catching, which is, I mean, probably right. the most difficult position on the field. Yeah. And he, the other thing that I've seen from him this spring is, um, you know, you've, you've talked to him probably even more than I have. He, when he first came up, he was uh, understandably nervous, very sort of just did not want to say anything offensive, very much gave the, the, the party line of, you know, I'm here just here to help the team. And, and he still says those things, but he definitely has a chip on his shoulder. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that he's disgruntled. I don't mean that he has an attitude, but in talking to him, you know, I, I asked him, I said, do you feel like you had something to prove? And I hardly got the question out of my mouth. He's like, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I have something to prove this year because I have put in so much work and I did what the team asked me to do, uh, everything that they've asked me to do. And, uh, and, and I think that I need, I am, I have, what I have to prove is that I deserve a shot. And I, that is my singular goal this year. And I, I said, do you, do you feel like you've been a little underrated? And without hesitation, he goes, yeah, I think I have. And, and that's what I'm out to prove. And he goes, I don't mean that I'm angry. Like I, I'm happy to, I just want to be in the big leagues. That's what I've always wanted. So I'm, if I'm in the big leagues, I'm happy, but yeah, I think I've been a little underrated and that gives me some motivation to, to prove them wrong. And, you don't want a team, you don't want a player being disgruntled, and I don't think that is the case here, but I, I kind of like seeing a little bit of that edge from him to, from a, a kid that has been very, um, I don't know, is meek the right word in, at least in the interviews? He's always been a competitor on the field, but, but to, to hear him openly admit, like, yeah, I, I am very motivated to prove people wrong this year. I think that can be a powerful motivator. Yeah, I think edge is never a bad thing. I mean, you know, you don't, I mean, the, there's a fine line between, you know, edginess and cockiness or whatever, but I think you've got to have some level of that if you're going to make it in this league. I mean, there's just too many people are too talented and you've got to have, you know, more than just the physical tools and, you know, the physical abilities to make it stick in this league. So yeah, that's, that's encouraging to hear um, as far as, you know, that attitude. Cause I think probably it's harder to have um, early on, especially if you're, just by nature, a, a super humble, um, guy, which is, he is. And so, you know, you've yeah. got those guys that come in with bravado and that's kind of their MO and then they've got to live up to it for him. You know, for guys like him, it's just a completely different story. That's not, that's not something they're comfortable, um, displaying, especially yeah. early on, especially till they find their way. But once they do, you know, and they feel like they've earned that right to kind of speak up and to, you know, to show a little bit of that bravado and that edge, um, it just takes some guys a little bit longer to do it. And I feel like probably too, to be honest with you in the room, it's received a lot better when you take it that way, as opposed to the other. Absolutely. Because if you come in with ego, then the adjustment that you have to make is down. And 
anytime that starts to trend down, it becomes uh, a little perilous. How are you going to trend the right amount down? Or are you going to really suffer a lack of confidence or a loss of confidence and, and kind of have to rebuild when you come in humble and then you do enough that you start to gain confidence and that trends upward. I mean, kind of is a perfect example of somebody he's never, and uh, knock on wood, you know, never say never, but I don't think he's capable of becoming just an arrogant player that that does not strike me as something that is in his uh, tool bag, but trending upwards towards confidence, then I think is a very positive thing for him. Absolutely. I mean, and like we said, they've got to, you've got to have it. I mean, you can't lack confidence in this game, even if sometimes you have to fake it. I mean, you know, you can't, you just can't, you can't survive. You may be able to get up here, but you can't stay. Um, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't have that, it just doesn't, it just doesn't translate. Uh, and there's just too many other guys that do, uh, and that have the same physical capabilities and abilities that you do. We're getting toward the end of this thing. And you sent me this ridiculous text earlier that was like, please don't memorize this. But first of all, I would never memorize anything. Familiarize yourself with the basic concept of the Coriolis force. What the F is that? And why did you text me that? And what does it have to do with this podcast? Aha. I'm glad you asked. Uh, because this morning, this morning I unveiled the latest installation of rank five where I go to Wikipedia and I just start clicking random article and I write down, uh, sometimes it's what pops up. Sometimes it sparks another thought about something else. And I, I write five things per piece of paper. And then once I have a good uh, cache of, of sheets of paper with five things written on them. I walk into the clubhouse and I find a player and I say, Hey, do you want to play the dumbest game I've ever invented? And the, the correct answer is no. The, the correct answer is w- w- please treat your, your credentials with the respect they deserve. Uh, that's not the answer I get. The answer I get is, uh, sure. Let's, what do you got? And so, um, so they, I asked them to rank these five items from best to worst, one through five. And so, for example, uh, I'll give you the part two is coming out tomorrow, and I think part two is actually going to be better than part one, but okay. So one, one example was Corey Kluber. I, I asked Corey to choose between, um, uh, uh, breaking dishes on purpose, oatmeal, Court jesters, counting crows, the band, not the activity, and counting crows, the activity, not the band. And you just have to rank them best to worst. And so I thought it would be a, a fun uh, promo for the for that article if I asked Emily Jones to do a rank five. And so here are your options, Emily. Do you have a, a pen or something to take notes? Um, yes. Okay. I, I at least gave you a heads up on one of the items, but I did not give you a heads up to get a pen. Sorry, that's on me. Okay, so here here are your options. Uh, the Mongolian national football team. Okay. Electronic music. Okay. The Coriolis effect. Oh, Lord. Okay. Cheetahs, the cat. Okay. And Staples, the store, not the item. Okay. So you have to rank these, rank them one through five, best to worst. So staples, there's lots of good stuff in staples. Um, I mean, they have food now. Like you could, you could, 
Oh yeah, I mean they have snacks. Yeah, they have office snacks. So they have office like big, oh my gosh. like tubs of cheese balls, and so you could survive in Staples for a while. So I feel like Staples is bringing a lot to the table. That's going to be number one. Um, cheetahs okay. are pretty kick ass. Um, like right. they're really pretty and fast, and um, so I think they're definitely number two. Uh, I like mm. music. I do you say electric music? I don't yeah, electronic music like ele- I don't, Oh, no no no. Okay, sorry. That's way down. Um I mean, who Mongolian national football team. So I mean, this is going to sound like I'm totally dumb. So this is like the football we're like soccer is a soccer, right? Yes, yes. Sorry. Uh okay. yes, football as it is used in other countries, not in Okay. I was about to say, wow, I that's aggressive that Mongolia has a football team. That's amazing. Uh, so I'll go. I mean, I'm curious about them. So let's go three, um, just because okay. they've probably got a cool story. Um, and then the cor- Coriolis, Coriolis, what effect? Yep. Um, yeah, effect, force. It depends on who you. Ask yeah, which that's one gonna go right. four. And then the instance music is. It makes me my head hurt. Um, and it makes okay. me think about like the time I went to Alcapulco and went to one of those foam parties and that was all that was happening was that uh, music. So that's going to be way down at the bottom. Uh, so there's my, uh, there's my ranking. Wow. I did not expect a foam party story uh, as, a, yeah. as a result of the rank Alcapulco. five, but you never know what you're going to get with this, which Alcapulco. is half of the fun. Alcapulco 97. I have been to one foam party in my life. I was 22, I think. Uh, this was in Dallas and we had no idea, but there was just this foam coming out the door. I mean, a couple of my bandmates were like, let's go see what this is about. And we were wearing full, I was wearing a three piece suit and I wore, I wore a three piece suit to a foam party and we were not asked to leave for doing this, but we did get a lot of dirty looks because we were just, I, I get the feeling that a lot of those foam parties, um, can become very tawdry at times and we were not interested in that. We had no interest whatsoever in trying to put the moves on anybody. We just, the three of us stood in the middle of the foam party and with two hands, we were just fleeing the foam as high in the air as it would go. Uh, and, and we yelled, we're making it rain. And, um, people did not think that that was a good, in your a good way to suits. experience it, Yeah. They did not think in that your was a good experience suits. a foam party. Yeah. In a three-piece suit. Yep. I am not surprised in the least. Not even one little bit. <laughs> Were you wearing a top hat? Because that's the kind of how I'm into it. Uh, I, I don't remember. I don't think I was. The fact I, that you're even having to think about it is also amazing. No. Well, no, I, I didn't own a top hat, but I did have a hat that I would wear sometimes with my suit because it was 2002 and... This was like just before Panic at the Disco came about. Like you have to remember, this is very much in my like uh, listening to a lot of Taking Back Sunday uh, days, and and uh, we were we were seen kids, but we were. This was also just before the Killers came out. So our band, this is we've completely derailed. Our band would tell people when you come to our show, wear your suit and wear your prom dress. We want people to dress up for these shows. We want it to be a whole thing, and it kind of worked for a while. It became a whole event and people would dress up to come to our shows and um and then the killers happened and they wore suits on stage and we were like well we've been usurped we can't do that anymore but yeah we, we made it a habit to wear suits when we could but you did work we usurped busted. into the podcast i feel like it's a great start to season two <laughs> we did i'm happy to be back uh our next episode will be March 10th, where we talk about things like uh, telekinesis and Mortal Kombat and, uh, and the world. Hopefully, Boots so. will be able to join us next week.
Yes. Hopefully a boot full of ketchup will finally be able to, to come back. Or maybe producer Chris will book us some different guests. We'll see. Okay. It's been fun. Here we go. Season two underway. Right. Bye, everyone. Later, taters. <laughs>